0: Good evening, Um, reading from uh, the 102nd Psalm, Psalm 102, uh, verses 18 to 22. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. the, The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Let us pray. God, our Father, you have spoken and revealed yourself in your word, and especially in your Son, Jesus, and we ask that as Your word is preached, and as we listen, uh, you'd open our ears to hear and our eyes to behold your glory in Jesus Christ, to see that apart from him, we have no hope. Apart from him, we are doomed to die and groan in enslavement to sin and death. So until until we see you face to face, this is our prayer uh, all over the world uh, for your church in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, today today I, I, I do not have a particular illustration, but I hope you will see that I intend only to, to make the Lord Jesus Christ known and present him with no aid of of wheat of my own. Um, and so our passage today is in a way summed up in what we just read in the Psalms. Um, that great was the discrepancy between God the Holy One of Israel, and his wayward creation, subject to the curse of sin. Right? We read, doomed to die, groans of the prisoners. This is somewhat an example of how the entire Bible comments on itself that the, diff- the different parts here and there paint for us a picture of what another part means. Right? Scripture interpre- inter- Interpreting scripture uh, with- without a need for external help so, I, I do hope that this excites your reading of Scripture and not to give up when you find some parts dry and hard to understand. And instead, to, to come and ask God's help to see it clearer in light of the rest of Scripture. So, here's the point then of what we're doing consistently every Sunday, morning, Sunday evening a challenge to you in your families uh, as well that is, to come and make sense of who Jesus is and who we are in him in light of the whole Bible. So, our reading for today, then, is in Romans. I invite you to turn to Romans, uh, Paul's letter in the New Testament, uh, chapter 5. Romans 5, beginning with verse 12, uh, till the end of the chapter. If you hold there for a second. Uh, in Romans, the point can be summarized as the confrontation with a holy God whose perfect righteousness has been revealed against all ungodliness. Not even a single one accepted, right? So the dreadful outcome is all men and women stand condemned, and if there is anyone to be saved, it must be God himself. Uh, who does the work and condescends, as it were, and takes full responsibility for that because absolutely no one can take that place, right? So from heaven, God bowed down, as we read in the psalm, and hid the grounds of the prisoners and saved those who were doomed to die. And so bringing these to, to bear in everyday lives, you, you see men and women struggle uh, in different ways with lifelong probing questions about what it all means, why are things the way they are, why do people do the things they do? How do we think about death and the purpose of life? And on days when everything seems to, to be shaky, uh, if I were to ask you what your greatest need was, I suppose the, the theologians among you might say like, it's well, to have sin dealt with before a holy God, and rightly so. But uh, for our purposes today, I would. Say to say that daily we need an assurance, an assurance a certainty that we're not just doomed to futility, certainty that sin and nagging conscience have been completely and fully dealt with, right? So we don't have to go through that whole cycle over and over again. So then uh, I propose to you today that it is centered on God who works out all things according to his purposes, And we cannot even begin to assume what that looks like. So this is a call as we begin, as we jump into our text, uh, for you to test God and to see that if by him you can face the perplexities of life and our own sense of never being, being enough, right? Is Jesus Christ worthy of our total devotion in our families? Tomorrow in the workplace, in public, and in all private moments? Because that's where, that's where the, uh, the rub is. I, I am increasingly confronted by the grace of the living God. And by this I mean, I, I see that I'm not being coddled as an innocent bystander who just happens to be uh, polluted by the sin transmitted from Adam and Eve. Uh, to say, to say then sin is original does not mean that I invent new things and, and uh, try to outdo myself and others and evil, but it really means I am naturally warped and depraved. So, so you see, uh, in this scheme, no one can have an alibi before God. Everyone is doomed to die. That is, so long as we still cherish the past life under the headship of Adam and think those wretched days were the good old days, were guilty, vile, and utterly helpless. But Jesus... But Jesus, the man who undoes the work of Adam and consequently our own secures righteousness in life and perfects it in himself, he's the man for us and has to be that man for us in order to represent us and to be the head of the redeemed human race. Um, I, I labor on so much to, to stress out these because these will become important in our text to see that we must have a change of a head and so the title for our message today is jesus christ a new head the new head right so this same jesus if he's only man he's just like us also doomed to die and so for righteousness to march forward he must be god truly as well uh, Here's the glory of this new man the last adam who in another place Uh, because of his great salvation for humanity, has become a life-giving spirit. So we can only get that life if and only if we are joined to him in covenant, with him as our new covenant head. Many of us has... uh, Take a pause here. Many of us have no concept of a covenant, and for that reason, we have no concept of faith union with with Jesus Christ. And so you see... we just make terribly bad covenant partners to one another, and especially with the covenant Lord. And so in passing, what is a covenant? Um, I'll submit to you, it, according to the Bible, it is a legally binding commitment of relationship and doing life together in light of that relationship. Right? A context for steadfast love and faithfulness. That is, uh, it also includes blessings and curses for keeping within, and going out of the stated boundaries. So then the covenant calls for witnesses and is bound by an oath. Uh, And yet with God, the Holy One of Israel, it means to be set apart and totally devoted to him in covenant as he is totally devoted to himself. Just think about that. To be devoted to God as much as God is devoted to himself. This is what he calls us into as he brings us into covenant. It means to belong to another and be totally accountable to them. And that sounds like marriage. It sounds like serious church membership and is your right. And so I ask you, so then how could we possibly casually approach these issues when in fact they are based on the Lord and they are just they're just so so great and could never be terminated. I know most of you know these things already, but it is no trouble for me to excite you by way of reminder and not a burden for you. So we begin with why the person and work of Jesus Christ means everything in how we deal with the enemies that loom large over life, namely sin and by consequence, death. So our text for today. Romans 5:12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life. For all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the Lord came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He ends the reading of the Lord's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's try that again. Here is the word of the Lord. All right, catching on. Uh, so far, <clears throat> so far, Paul has been dealing with how come those who couldn't do anything for themselves could come and be justified and have a good legal standing before God, before a holy God. And uh, the answer that he has given so far is through the preaching of the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, and the work that is being done by the Spirit as it is now, men and women who put their faith in him then uh, are brought to reconciliation with him and uh, to have that Righteous standing before God. And so then it begins, verse 12, uh, where we begin. So therefore, right? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. All right? Outside of Jesus, as we find out more and more, sin brings only death. And and yet, for for many, we know where we've been, right? It might seem like freedom to indulge ourselves in independence from God, and yet its only path is certain and sure death. This is because we are creatures entirely dependent on the Creator for uh, even the very breath in our lungs. God holds and sustains life because He Himself is that life. Um, I did come across uh, a certain old writer who who was meditating on the grace of God. And concerning sin, he says, Sin is the refusal to be held. It rests free of the embrace of God, yet free from God, we are cut off from the life-giving communion with God. And so we put ourselves in the realm of death. And so we put ourselves in the realm of death. And so, uh, seeking then to enhance our lives by buying into the lies of being self-sufficient, we soon realize that we we have bound ourselves so freely and handed ourselves over to demons and uh, the spiritual forces, to Satan himself. This is not freedom. It is enslavement to a tyrant whose objective is to harm, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I ask you, is this the master that you want in your search for freedom. Uh, We walk as as though somehow the problem is external, like the institutions and so on, and the problem is uh, we've we've recently come across. uh, Such that the only way it seems we can deal with our routine wickedness is by riots, and demonstrations, and social programs, and so on. But yet the point of the gospel is rather to present a marked difference in our lives. People must see In us, the transforming power of a new head over us. Because outside of that, again, to emphasize, sin just slips in. And because of that, God judges the world with death. Uh, Sin sin and its draw are not the result of the law, as we we go on in verse 18. Uh, Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And then, of course, you encounter Christians. So how, how, was, how was sin counted for those, and that's verse 14, how was sin counted for those who existed between Adam and Moses? Because the law wasn't given by then. Um, and the, the point that we're given rather is to say that the law is there to magnify and make a full spectacle of sin. Right, and to display how truly depraved it is. We are sinners, not, not merely because we break a certain law, but, but the law is just there to show how truly vile we are, right? to say, here's how good you thought you were, but here's how truly bad you are, and you have no help outside of a change, a transference from the old man, and to the new man, the last man. And so uh, that continues with our question, how, how then does death reign over those you have not seen, like Adam? Uh, you, you might say, I, I thought babies are born innocent, guiltless, and usually this is the issue in most circles. Uh, we just like to be the victims, and so it could never be our fault. And so what do you mean when, when you say, Are someone's sin and transgression hangs over us, don't we have liberty and freedom from that guy? It's so unfair. It would indeed be unfair if you could represent yourself before the, the presence of the Holy God, but you cannot. You absolutely cannot, and no one can represent themselves before God. You need, again, a head to represent you, and that comes in the context of a covenant. The the reason even though we sin differently from Adam that was still lumped up together with him is because he is the head of that covenant by virtue of creation, and he represents all men and women and all creation still groaning under the curse of sin. We read this morning from from Romans 8. The curse of sin still hangs over all of creation because of sin. Well... So then the, the moment uh, that Adam crosses the covenant of boundary, everyone who will come after him and under him falls short by the same sort of disobedience. And we must really emphasize here that if we do not really believe in the creation covenant, that is a real historical Adam, then we'll be hard to to put salvation in the new covenant in context. Right? because this is what Paul is doing. He's not even giving you, giving us explanations of why we should believe that there was a historical Adam, only that Genesis says so, that God has given us the record of his creation. Right, And so, no creation, no salvation. Well, we'll move on. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Uh, Notice then the contrast between the trespass, which is really the breaking of faith in covenant, and then the free gift. Uh, These are covenantal terms, and explicitly uh, we find that the trespass throughout the Old Testament is expressed in terms of going rogue right, and being an unfaithful covenant partner in all sorts of adulterous affairs. And and yet, on the other hand, the free gift is the expression of loyal and faithful covenant love. And I would invite you to recall, this is how the Lord describes himself. When he reveals himself to Moses, right in covenant, um, the Lord's proclamation of his name as he revealed his glory in Exodus 33 and 34 was, "The Lord, the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, long-suffering, full of loyal covenant love and faithfulness," has said and ammed for those who care. Steadfast love is who God is, and He is many other things, but He is simply that, holy what he is. So then the free gift is not a thing that God gives and remains detached from it, as we, we tend to think, but it is God himself whose abundance of being in grace is that faithful, loyal, covenant love. Here's the point, then. You must be in covenant with him to know him in his faithful, loyal love. Outside of covenant, as we read, you are doomed. Doomed to die, and this means uh, to completely belong to him. And and friends, uh, we must know that we belong not to ourselves, no matter how alluring that sense of false liberty is. It is false. It is damned. It is damning, and it is our own doing. And you say this is all so hopeless, but we do have to address these things, uh, lest you forget. And after all the praying, worshipping, find out we are just as doomed as we began, Uh, thinking simply that we could not belong to any other person than ourselves, be answerable to another, and give a wretched account of ourselves. And this just rubs us so wrong because we're so individual, so independent, and we want to make uh, a name for ourselves and so on. Uh, we must give an account to someone other than ourselves and that help is not to be found in the things that we do as though someone, somehow to, to become better, depended on all of these things that are happening all around us. The gospel is presented here and confronts our notions of, of progress and distinctions and shows that there they are only two groups of people. Those who inherit salvation and grace and those who fall by the same trespass uh, in Adam. Right? For those in Christ, the task then is that people of the world must, must see in us the transforming power of the gospel in real ways, in the outworking of relationships based solely on the, on the reconciliation above all achieved for us with the Holy Lord God. All the writings of of wrongs that we're looking for in social terms will never come this way, horizontally. They'll always come so long as we are focused on that reconciliation that comes between us and God through that one man, Jesus Christ. And uh, sadly, um, the church in many places is buying into uh, the contrary. Um, I call call you back, I skip this on purpose in uh, verse 14, uh, that death reigned from Adam to Moses, right? Even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And so in the middle of, of our text, we find that word of comparison, a type. And it's so easy for us to assume and say, well, this is what it is, but we look at what Paul means, means that uh, Adam was a figure of what would be looked for in times to come when God would uh, reconcile and when God would head over a new humanity. Both Adam and Jesus are representatives of people and they would carry out a work with eternal consequences, right? Some again to doom and death, and some to life and grace in God. Yet later on, the contrast is so great that that Jesus is not merely another Adam, just like him, but so much greater is he. He is the grace of God in person, he is the truth of God in person. Having come to confront us in our lie, in which we pretend to be the makers of our own reality, having come to confront our wretchedness in an unlimited way. Uh, really, for the entirety of human history, there's has ever only been two worldviews, two realities, two men, none before Adam, because Adam is the first man, who was really a real man, and none between then until Christ, and none after Christ. Only Jesus is a different kind of man. He is the righteous one, the last man. And unlike Adam, he obeys perfectly as we shall see at the end so that we too who have nothing to do with that could be counted as righteous together with him. Uh, And so the free gift that he brings with him is not like the result of that one man's sin. Uh, Judgment, followed one trespass and brought condemnation, but the free gift, uh, following many trespasses, uh, brought justification. So instead of sin and death reigning now because of Adam's disobedience, now those who are truly uh, saved and have received the grace of God will reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ, only those who belong to Jesus then find such grace that abounds. And just in passing, this this kind of reigning is not uh, in terms of the Pentecostal movement that you are kings of your own lives. By no means. <laughs> this is to reign over all that seems to come to confront and be an obstacle in your approach to the Holy God, so that then we are now free to live that way with one another, right, instead of saving self, being confined to self, being enslaved to self, and so on and so on. So we must not lose then sight of the way Jesus is described here, if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man jesus christ Uh, the the lord jesus is that justification for us even in the midst of so many trespasses um, as righteousness as eternal life and this is the gospel This is helpful for us as we tend to think of our salvation only in terms of the death of Jesus, and yet here we see uh, that because he willingly obeyed on behalf of those in him, to them who are joined to him in covenant has been credited that same righteousness. From the one to the many, and this is not like the, the mortar of the dollar bill, but once obedience makes many righteous, So here's the question. Does this mean that since universally all people because of Adam were plunged into sin and death, then universally in the same way all people because of of the obedience of Jesus are made righteous? Is that what he's saying? No. By no means. We come to this end because we forget that this entire contest. Context is a contrast between two covenant heads and consequently those joined with those heads. By creation and simply existing, we are joined to Adam, but by faith through the Spirit of God, we are joined to Jesus, the new head. So consider for yourselves today and judge by what you say, think, feel, or do. If indeed you remain wretched in the old man, Adam, in sin and in condemnation. Or if by God's grace you have been confronted by the reality and the seriousness of sin and have been translated into a new life, in Jesus' life and godliness, that can only be absolutely found in him. This is what it means to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Some, some, some of you may say we do know and realize all these things. We know the gospel to be true, yet we still see in ourselves the remnants of the depravity of Adam. What are we to do with this? Growth, growth in the Christian life is by thinking on this good news and appropriating it as our own by faith so that daily listening to this, daily coming to be Uh, Corrected by the text of Scripture, we are more and more brought to submit and to reform our hearts and minds and desires in the knowledge of true forgiveness, of new life, and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So as you go uh, throughout throughout your week, and you feel like you you are falling by the same uh, sort of of transgression and and disobedience. Think on this good news and know that it is never dependent on you. It is dependent on one who can and has obeyed perfectly on your behalf. This is the gospel. So this is, this is really not to discourage or disparage you by feelings and thoughts of inadequacy. Um, rather, the point is to draw your attention to hope and to new life in the midst of a world that is hopeless, godless, and really doomed to die under the wrath of God. All right? uh, you recall these words from, from Titus, uh, Paul wrote to Titus, but when the goodness and kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what did he do? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured us on, out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, then we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The grace of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saves you. Trust him. Uh, so what, what, what do we do with all of this? What does it all mean uh, it means, on, on the one hand, then now that we've come to see how so great the trespass was and how greater still the salvation and the grace has been. If we go on sinning willfully, we crucify again the son, according to uh, the apostle to the Hebrews. And friends, this knowledge brings us into the clear line of fire. We stand condemned if we reject the son, the last Adam. It means we shall be held to a higher standard because we've rejected complete salvation and thought we could give our own account before God as the children of Adam. On the other hand, it then means we have complete salvation in the man Jesus Christ and God our Savior. This is good news. This is good news when we do not feel like it. And our friends, Jesus Christ is not only. What we need, he is all we have if we are to stand before God, not as condemned, but invited in, brought in, made participants in God's eternity, in God's eternal life. So Jesus Christ is worth all our trust, even as we seek to love him and those who are entrusted to us, seeking to address all the lingering questions and and the sighs of heavy hearts. Then then we have, I suppose we have to address the thing about the law. So sure, some of you may have been waiting for that. <laughs> well, um, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll leave you with a question. What are we to do with the law and this whole notion of it entering in to bring many trespasses? Well, two things as we come to a close. The law was given so as to amplify the gravity of sin and that sin might might be presented as gross and as real as it is, wickedness and a disdain for God. But in doing so, Paul is saying, God did present his grace so gloriously to do the seemingly impossible, which is to destroy sin and make it nothing and to deal with death finally and for all and to make life possible. A transfer from Adam to Christ then From death into life, from depravity into righteousness. This is the wonder of grace. That is not so much as to why God saves some and not all, right? But really, it is how God saves any at all to begin with. All right, this this is the question that we will approach His throne with. It won't be, why not them? Why them? But it would be, why, why am I even here to begin with? And, and the answer that we're given is because of that one man, Jesus Christ, the new Adam. So also, secondly, while the law is important in the great contrast between Adam and Christ, the law, Paul uses the law not in a primary sense, but secondary, as a means to an end. It pales in comparison when it is put between Adam and Christ. It just functions as a mirror of sorts. As in Adam, all die, so also those in Christ shall be made alive. There is really so much to say on this, but what shall we say? Uh, Well, you'd have to come back next time for that. Well, dear friends, drawing closer to home... (coughs) Now that, now that we are here and understand how so crucial it is for us to understand how we're joined to the Lord Jesus and how then salvation for us and grace and life and righteousness is applied to us in that way, only in that context, then uh, we, we might ask, what, it, what, it, what is it that made the early Christians and our brothers and sisters around the world today to stand and face violent deaths? joyfully. What is it that made that group of believers still come boldly together and affirm that we believe in God the Father, we believe in his Son of the same substance as he is, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We know the record, right, it says some came uh, to those uh, councils and meetings and those gatherings having had their eyes gouged out, some missing limbs, and yet joyfully declaring that salvation is in no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, it is not to threaten you with these images that I say this, but to declare that we have to be certain of something more than ourselves. That there is no fence on which to hang while while we try to decide if we are for Jesus, having found life or still in Adam, enslaved to routine wickedness, We know this, though, even in the dullest of moments, because of the conscience of the most hardened atheist, you know, it comes to condemn. The conscience comes alive. God brings forth his uh, good news, the gospel of his wrath and grace uh, to challenge and to confront people and to point out that after all that has been done and thought is feeble, frail, and so tiny. Right. So it begins by recognizing our desperate need, uh, our tragic condemnation, uh, that I do have rogue ten- tendencies and I'm given over to routine wickedness. I say rogue in the most devastating sense. There, there is a story that you might recall. There is... There's the story of the little boy whose mother kept insisting that he sit down and buckle up as they were driving. The little boy would sit a while and then stand up and start moving around. And his mother became so angry at him and scolded him extensively. And then crossing his arms and pouting and sitting down, he said so calmly, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'll have you know I am standing on the inside. And this is who we are in rebellion and under Adam. So accepting then that truly Jesus Christ has taken my place and stood condemned in my place, he is sufficient to cover me. Um, You know the hymn as we come to the end here, uh, Chief of Sinners. One One of the verses says, Chief of Sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me, died that I might live on high, lived that I might never die. As the branch is to the vine, I am his, and he is mine. And so because of sin, death came into the world. And countless graves bear witness to the reign of death. All the people who have been buried up until today but Jesus, the last Adam, the last man, has dealt with sin and so also with death. Trust him. The a call to trust him. Trust that he is the one who sufficiently died in your place. Trust that his work is enough to cover you and to give you a context to deal with an ever-changing world and your impending death. Right, the victory over sin, the freedom to be truly as God made men and women to be, is not just a religious ideal or just an abstract concept. We know Jesus. We know he died. And yet, he did not remain dead. But because of an indestructible life, rose from the dead and now lives still. Now lives still. Where is Muhammad? Still dead. Where is Buddha? Still dead. Where... Is Confucius still dead? Where are my ancestors? Still dead. The message of the Bible is that there is none, absolutely no one under Adam who is able to help you ultimately face life's looming questions, which is how you stand before the living God. Only Jesus, who declares that he has the power to lay down his own life and then to pick it up again, he, he alone can help sufficiently and permanently. So then we come to this, that we have grace that, that has been made abundant and available for us uh, so that through the righteousness of Jesus, we might be led on into eternal life. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this good news has been preached to you. And may the spirit of the living God weigh so heavily upon you tonight and all the days of your lives until we see him face to face. Right, let us pray. Our God, our Father, when you speak, you do crush all lofty ideas that are raised up against you. And we do realize that we are unable to come on our own terms before you. And yet you've invited us in and brought us into your covenant, the new covenant in the new man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he holds us before you and says, behold, I am the children that you've given me, and I have lost not even one of them. And so for all who are here tonight, for all who are elsewhere throughout the world, I'm worshiping you, bowing as, as it is, as we do now, please Make your grace available for them that they might know true victory over sin and know that there is life even when we come to the end of our days in this world. We pray so Uh, to the praise of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.